What are ordinals? What are inscriptions? What are Bitcoin NFTs? What makes them so special? Today, Ordinally, a core developer and member of the Ordinals Protocol team, is going to take us through the basics, an introduction to Ordinals. This is Ordinals Learn Space with Ordinally and Friends, and we are here to learn about the brand new world of Ordinals. Let's go. Maybe you can start us off, Ordinally. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, where you came from, as, as much as you're comfortable, uh, even before, before Ordinals. Yeah, and I think, you know, kind of the journey here has been quite interesting. If you had predicted like a year ago that I would be doing a Twitter spaces on, you know, something that has to do with art on Bitcoin, I, you know, I, I think I wouldn't have believed you. So, um, um, you know, kind of from, from my background, I've been in tech for uh, for a good 20 years, uh, have, have actually been working, uh, you know, on startups in the um, natural language processing and AI space for most of that time as a founder and, um, you know, tech entrepreneur. Um, so also, you know, kind of very, especially in the last year, uh, very, uh, you know, very hot space. Um, but I've also been, been in Bitcoin for, for a few years. I, I kind of seriously got interested in it in 2016, uh, a little late, uh, I felt, but, uh, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I found it. And, um, I came originally from a technical perspective, like I was really fascinated by this idea, how can you do like, you know, digital scarcity, um, how can this even work? And then, you know, the deeper I dug, the more I learned about all the different aspects from, you know, uh, you know, the, the monetary aspects, the technical aspects, the cultural aspects, the philosophical aspects. Um, there's so much to learn. Um, and... Yeah, and then getting into ordinals was something that, that again, was like a pure, uh, you know, kind of um, lucky coincidence where at a conference last year in Austin in, in, in August, um, I, was, I was actually introduced to, to Casey by, um, by Isabel, who has been, um, you know, working on, uh, on, on, on marketing um, for, for ordinals for, for quite a while now. And... Um, Casey kind of immediately started talking about this new idea he had this, you know, this idea to, um, you know, back then the focus really was on ordinal theory and we'll get into that a little later. So this idea to um, find a way to track individual Satoshis, the smallest unit of Bitcoin. Um, and I was, you know, and, and, and like you said later, like I was one of the few people who, who actually, uh, you know, found that interesting and listened. And we got into quite a deep conversation for, um, for the evening and um, decided to, uh, I think he was flying to San Francisco the next day. And I, uh, I coincidentally had the same plan. So, so we met up in San Francisco the next day and kind of, you know, chatted a little more. And I, um, I got the art client uh, running that day, which uh, back then was uh, wasn't so easy. It took, I think, about a week to uh, to sync mainnet. Um, so, uh, you know, um, something that that took a lot of patience, um, and and that that kind of got me, you know, the the um, what, what what I really found interesting was this idea of kind of doing like archaeology on. Uh, you know, on the Bitcoin you have, right? With 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 uh, ordinal theory, you have a way to track the satoshis you have to. Okay, when were they actually mined, and you know what transactions were they involved in, right? All of this is just under this lens of ordinal theory, um, but but nonetheless, I, I found it a really really interesting idea. So I you know I wanted to get to it, and I wanted to see. Okay, so for the Bitcoin I have, like. You know what's the oldest uh, Satoshi that I have, and and what uh, you know what transactions have they been involved in? Um, what is the oldest Satoshi you have? What is the oldest Satoshi you have? It's from January um, January two thousand nine. Um, so one of the first, I, I forgot the block number, but but it's not you know it's not like whatever, it's not like block nine, but um, it's. Uh, it's it's one I have kept safe and uh, and and have okay. some have some plans for. Um, so I, I, I won't okay. spill a lot, but it's uh, it's 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 from it's from the first few days of uh, of Bitcoin. Yeah. Wow, spicy. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, continue. 
No, so, and back then, I mean, back then, nobody was talking about, like, rare sets and all of these things. I mean, it's so great to to see that taking off now and, like, people actually doing this on a, you know, almost industrial scale to, you know, uh, mine for rare sets. I was just looking at what I had, right? So, um but 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 again, anyway. So so that was what was what what I found fascinating. Like, how can I do this? And then you know the the, the art client was kind of uh, slow to index. So I thought, okay, I can I can probably help to make that uh, to make that faster. And that's how I got involved in um, you know in contributing to uh, to the so project. It almost yeah. It almost sounds like it was love at first sight. Like it was. You spoke it to was the conference yeah, yeah. the next day. <laughs> But what, but, what, but what was it? Uh, not love at first sight with Casey necessarily, but but what was it about ordinals that really, um, you know, made you dive in the deep end? Yeah, yeah. So that's a great question. It really felt like so. So the the feeling I got during that conversation was like I I had thought about like you know when when I tried to explain Bitcoin to people like explaining the the UTXO model and you know how all of that worked. Um, I had actually, and, and like, you know, this question like, okay, so how can you really make sure there's never more than, you know, the, the, the 21 million Bitcoin that, you know, we all, uh, we all know is, is the upper limit. And I had, I had started explaining this in a way which is very similar to, um, to what you have in ordinal theory, right? Where essentially you take, uh, you take a Bitcoin transaction and um, you essentially take, you know, all the satoshis you have as inputs on the left and map them one-on-one -on -one to all the outputs you have on the right. And so, so you know, to really understand, like, why, why can't there be more, right? The, 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 the sum of inputs is always the same as the, as the sum of outputs minus fees. Um, and so, so to me, it felt like, wow, this guy really has kind of formalized the concept that I had, like, not as clearly and not like not in any way to this level of, of sophistication, but that I had been thinking about for like whatever the last two years. And it felt like, wow, here's someone who has like really kind of finished that thought and actually implemented something. So, so that's, that's what, that's what, it, that's what initially got me hooked. It felt like, wow, this, this guy has, has done something that I had kind of very loosely been thinking about. Um, and like, you know, done all the work, like finished it. And the interesting thing is also Casey said, like he didn't invent this, he discovered it. Um, the idea is actually, if you go back to Bitcoin uh, talk forum posts, I think the first mention of a very similar idea is back from 2010. So it's not, you know, the, the, the whole concept of numbering Satoshis is not something that is, you know, that is, that is you know, just an invention from last year. Um, I think, in a way, it's a very natural idea. Um, but Casey was the first one to really take that to, okay, I want to make this happen. I want to build an implementation. I want to start, you know, um, using this as a system to actually transfer, um, you know, non-fungible um, collectibles on Bitcoin um, but, but, but the whole idea has a, has a, has a, you know, has a longer history and, and yeah, so, so that's, that's what got me hooked. Yeah. So, so you fell in love, uh, with Casey's ideas because it resonated with something you'd been thinking about for a while, um, and that solution. Um, and then, and pretty much the next day you, you go both through the San Francisco, was it? And then, then you worked on the org client. Um, and then what was the next steps after that? Yeah, so so Casey at that point, this was also like I think uh, Raf and Casey and I uh, ducked that up the the other day. Like I think two days later, he 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 hired Raf to also contribute on uh, on the art client, um, and then there, there were like I think two or three months where we pretty much had you know a Discord coding session. Uh, you know, every evening or most evenings at uh, 7 p.m. my time, 10 a.m. San Francisco, um, you know, and, you know, I wasn't joining like every day. Raf was there almost every day. Um, and, you know, we were just discussing code changes and PRs and, you know, actually pair programming uh, on the Discord. So that was, 
that was like you know uh, October, November, uh, December last year. Um, and there were like there, there were a handful of people who were interested and sometimes popped in, but but it really felt like this very small kind of uh, you know completely unknown corner of the internet that no one was interested in. Um, but I was really interested, like for, for me, um, you know, in my in my day job, you know, I'm 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 you know running a company with with 250 people, and um, I you know one of the things I miss is like you know really getting my hands you know dirty with this technology and actually coding, and um, so so that was one of the things I wanted to do. I had set myself as a goal last year to get more hands on with Bitcoin development and you know, find something interesting to do in the Bitcoin space. And the art client was both from a, was a really interesting topic. Casey is a really great teacher in terms of, um, you know, helping, like I hadn't done any Rust programming before. And Rust is not the easiest language to learn. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I might just ask you to, um, sure. if you can, because, we're, because it's an education space yeah. and, and for my own benefit, um, um, the old client, what is it? What does it do oh, yeah. and why is it important? And, and Rust, I'm assuming, is a programming language. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you think we need. Yeah, please interrupt me anytime. Like, you know, I can, I can start rambling for a long time and, uh, and, and you know, may, may, maybe, maybe missing, like, the, uh, the, the appropriate uh, context setting. So, yeah, so the art client is the original implementation of the Ordinal protocol um, that Casey started, I think, a good year ago. Um, initially, it was just him. Then he had uh, he had another student um, that, that worked with him, and then then Raf and I joined last September. And kind of you know, kind of like the main work was done by by Casey, and and like the second, uh, I think the second biggest contributor clearly is is Raf. Um, and it's the implementation of um, you know both ordinal theory, but also inscription. So it's a it's a command line tool, um, primarily, um, that you can use to index the blockchain and, um, you know, track all the movement of Satoshis. Um, it can be used to inscribe files from a command line interface. Um, it also contains an explorer um, that you can run as a, um, you know, as a server. That's the same software that runs on ordinals.com. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's, it's the software that I think we all know that, you know, where you can browse the inscriptions and, um, and, 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 and get all the information about what is it inscribed on, etc. So it's the reference, imp so, so, reference implementation so of in, ordinals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Yep. So it's a package of an indexer and explorer and an inscribing interface as well. Yes. Um, a complete package of that. A Thanks. complete package. And the idea here was to, to really, like, I mean, nowadays we have this, uh, this, this whole ecosystem of, you know, web-based inscription services and things have become a lot easier. But back then the idea was this is the tool set you need to uh, inscribe and browse inscriptions in a self-sovereign way. Um, let me talk about that for a, for a minute. Like, the idea also with, with ordinals and, and art is that um, we want to build it in a, in a Bitcoin native way, in a way that is consistent with Bitcoin principles. And one of the key principles is decentralization. So, um, you know, not having, you know, one centralized instance that, uh, that everybody uses to, to work with inscriptions, but essentially empowering everyone to run their own instance of um, of the Ordinals Explorer. Much like in Bitcoin, you know, everybody is encouraged to run their own nodes so that there's no, no risk of, um, of, of, you know, one centralizing force. Um, and this is, this is, you know, incredibly empowering also because, you know, like the data for inscriptions is stored on the blockchain. It's available to everyone. Um, but of course, you need... You know, you need a tool, you need a lens, you need an explorer to actually view the inscriptions that are, you know, inscribed on the blockchain. Um, and one of those explorers is the art client. And we try to make it so that everybody can run it themselves fairly easily. Granted, you know, it takes, if you have never run a Bitcoin node and 
you know, you, you, you need to get up and running first time. It's, um, it's not trivial, but it's doable. And this was one of the things back in February when, you know, we had the huge rush uh, into ordinals and inscriptions. I think, I don't know how many people I helped personally to get their note up and running, but I think, uh, you know, across everyone who was on the, on the audit card, I think we, we helped several hundred people to get at least to get, you know, notes up and running and get art up and running. Back then, it was the only way to inscribe. Um, so, so the incentive was pretty high. And in, in the context of things, um, how many nodes are there worldwide, um, would you say? And I think today there's, there's a good site that tracks this. I think today, like this is off the top of my head, I think it's about 12,000. Uh, ah, no, this is, this is Lightning nodes. Um, there's probably more Bitcoin nodes. Um, there isn't like a... You know, given the nature of the network, there's no perfect way to to count the number of nodes. But let's say it's you know it's in the it's in the twenty twenty thousand range. I would say. Okay, so I mean, even if a thousand people started nodes, and like I myself started a node a couple of weeks ago, um, say a thousand people started a node from ordinals mm -hmm. um, or introduced by ordinals, that's not an insignificant uh, addition. It's yeah, I think it's I think it's quite an quite a quite a significant addition. There's a there's a good dashboard that I like to use. By the way, um, if you Google Clark Moody Bitcoin dashboard, um, you can see like you know for everybody here, I can I can uh, post a link uh, as a tweet. Um, but but that's a great dashboard to see all sort of all sorts of metrics on um, on Bitcoin and. They have the number of nodes broken down by by version, and if I do the math, like yeah, okay, it, it looks like what they have is about is about twelve, thirteen thousand. So, so my first guess wasn't wasn't so bad. Yeah, amazing, yeah. awesome. So, uh, I'll just take the opportunity to remind people I've I've pinned the space up top. If if people want to uh, like it and re retweet it, just to share the room, feel free to. And and also, this is um, supposed to be an interactive and um you know interactive session so anyone who wants to come up and ask questions feel free to although i think we're all kind of enraptured by just hearing the story of it all um so so whatever whatever you guys feel like uh, but we we are we are you know we're happy to take questions as well so we we spoke about the ord client and it sounds like that was a that's a necessary tool to work with and explore the ordinal theory but we haven't quite gone to the ordinal theory yet it's now a good time to talk about that, ordinally. maybe it's a good time to get into that. Yes. Um, so, so all, yeah. I mean, you know, we touched on it, but but really, kind of what what, what everybody is talking about today with um, with with inscriptions um, and and what we talk about as ordinals has two really essential parts, and and one of the parts is ordinal theory. Um, it's kind of the first thing that uh, that that Casey formalized. Um, there's a draft BIP. BIP is a Bitcoin improvement proposal. Um, you know, it's a proposal to standardize this 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 convention of of ordinal theory. Um, and what it is is really, um, it's a way. It's what makes inscriptions um, transferable. It, it, it's what enables like the, um, you know, recording ownership and transferring ownership of an inscription. So if you if you think back to Bitcoin originally, the 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 idea is that this is um, you know fully fungible money. You know, there's no concept of oh this piece of Bitcoin is different from this piece of Bitcoin, and you know I'm tracking this I'm tracking this coin across you know transactions. That's really not what Bitcoin is trying to do. In fact, it's trying to do the opposite. It's it's trying to be you know as fungible as possible. Um, so in order to have non-fungible things and inscriptions by, by the very nature should be non-fungible, right? You, you do care about which inscription you have. Uh, you don't want to have just, you know, a random, uh, you know, a random piece of, uh, of, of inscribed data. So it's non-fungible. And, and so what, what you need to actually transfer ownership um, on the blockchain is, is a way to, um, you know, to create uh, a, a record of ownership. And, and that's what we that's what we do with this ordinal theory, where essentially we have started. Uh, the, you know, the, the proposal that that Casey has is okay. Let's just number all the satoshis in existence. Um, 
you know, if you look at the first block that was mined by Satoshi in 2009, um, you know, um, we have, um, you know, the, the, the mining reward from that. That's the first, I think, what is, you know, the numbers get pretty big, but let's say the first 50 billion, um, 100 million times 50, 50 billion inscriptions, uh, 50 billion uh, Satoshis. Um, so you number that from zero to, you know, uh, 50 billion. And then in total, like once every, like once the entire supply of Bitcoin is mined, we have 21 quadrillion uh, Satoshis. That's a very, very large number. It's 21 million times 100 million. Um, one Bitcoin has 100 million Satoshis. Um, but, the, but the core idea is really just give every single Satoshi in existence a number from zero to 21 quadrillion. Um, assign the numbers in the order that Satoshis are created. So with every block, um, you know, until the, you know, you know, with every block, a certain amount of new Bitcoin is created until we have, uh, you know, in, in, in a few decades, we reach the time when there's no longer a, um, you know, what's called a subsidy. Um, and just number these Satoshis and then, the second part is track those Satoshis through transactions. A Bitcoin transaction essentially is something where you have, you know, a list of inputs. Um, you know, th those are the, you know, the pieces of Bitcoin that go into a transaction. You have a list of outputs um, plus a fee that goes to the miner. Um, and the, um, the amount of Bitcoin going in is always the same as the amount of Bitcoin going out minus the fee. Um, and then what we're doing to track the Satoshis is just, you know, kind of look at, okay, which numbered Satoshis are going in as inputs. Just imagine that as, you know, like a list of, of Satoshis that you write, um, you know, um, um, in a, you know, in a neat little table. And then, you know, you transfer those Satoshis to the right, um, kind of, you know, in a very straightforward fashion. And that way we can track those those individual satoshis um yeah so go ahead to just so, so to summarize we is it fair and, and i know it's simplistic but is it fair to summarize ordinal theory as one the linear numbering system mm -hmm. and two the ownership of those satoshis yeah i think ownership is maybe is like the ownership is the like the, the, the um the ownership is actually defined by the existing Bitcoin kind of ownership model, right? So you own a piece of Bitcoin, you own what's called in, in Bitcoin a, a UTXO, an unspent transaction output, if you have the private key to, um, you know, to, to spend that, uh, that, that UTXO. And ordinal theory really leverages the ownership model of Bitcoin. And what ordinal theory gives is two pieces. First piece, like you said, is the um, is the assignment of the serial numbers initially, and the second part is tracking those serial numbers through transactions. Both are, if you if you actually look at it, it all sounds like you know. I think the first time people look at it, it often sounds like complicated and a little scary, but 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 if you look at it, it's actually a very very simple idea, um, and and you know it really helps. Like what what I recommend, what also helped me in the beginning to. Um, to, to think through the corner cases and everything is actually draw things on a piece of paper and kind of, you know, let me draw a Bitcoin transaction with two inputs and three outputs. And, you know, let me think about, you know, how this looks like. And you get, you know, um, and I think that, that there's a few great uh, diagrams out there um, uh, nowadays where you can do it, but it really helps to kind of draw it yourself. And then you see, ah, yeah, okay, it's actually not that hard. It's, you know, it's a fairly, it's a fairly straightforward concept. And in Casey's contribution really is that he, he removed a lot of complexity and kind of really kind of um, uh, like isolated the, 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 the really beautiful, really simple, really straightforward uh, core concept of this. Awesome. So, so you mentioned, so Casey put this out there as a BIP, mm -hmm. a Bitcoin improvement proposal. Um, and again, just as a kind of education point, uh, and as well as contextually, how was that received, this BIP? And then what happens to a BIP after that? And, and, and yeah. It's a long story. We can probably do a whole uh, spaces on that. So, um, so BIPs are, 
um, yeah, Bitcoin improvement proposals. Um, anybody can submit them. It's you know, Bitcoin is a decentralized uh, protocol, and then there is there there is a process that um, uh, you know um, is is sometimes a little opaque, where you know um, first the BIP number is assigned, and there are discussions on the BIP, and then at some point also a BIP can be approved. Now. One important thing to note is that you know having an uh, you know having an accepted BIP doesn't mean, for example, that Bitcoin Core needs to implement it. No, um, this is just a way to standardize. Um, I think the definition is something like um, you know things that are relevant to Bitcoin. For example, BIP thirty nine is is something that, that that I think most of us have encountered, maybe not by that name. But it's the it's the standard for um, how do we go from a from a twelve word or twenty four word seed phrase to um, uh, you know to a private key. Right? So everybody who has used a twelve word or twenty four word or eighteen word uh, uh, seed phrase um, has has worked with BIP thirty nine. Although there is no direct implementation in um, um, in in you know it doesn't have to be a direct implementation. Um, anywhere and you know that so so bips are are something like that that is not just stuff that goes into bitcoin core like the the reference implementation of bitcoin but it also is for stuff that is that is relevant to to to, to the bitcoin ecosystem and um the the bip that casey submitted is still in the stage of being in a discussion if a number should be assigned <laughs> which really should be in administrative process but but it also shows like the whole reception of of ordinals and inscriptions was um was you know there, there there was a um let's say wide range of responses with um you know with 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 a significant people of of you know um, core developers also saying well you know um this really doesn't belong in bitcoin um and 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 they're trying to block it at the point of even assigning a bit number so that's where we currently so are that, that's still ha that's still happening there's no number now there's no number so, now casey just okay, reworked yep. the or, or improved the bip uh, last weekend and and resubmitted and answered some comments so it's you know the process is taking an, an a long time, and and really where we are hung up right now is is really an administrative or what should be an administrative part of the process. Like the actual discussion discussion is supposed to happen after, but um, but that's where we are, and you know we will just um, you know cases approaches just to um, you know you know very patiently just reply to the comments he gets and make the changes that are requested and just keep at it until we have you know a bit number and then we can go into the actual discussion and i think at this point like i think there's no arguing that it would be really useful for the bitcoin ecosystem to have um, a standard for this even even if you don't like ordinals and inscriptions um, I think there's no arguing whatsoever that this is a very relevant part of what's going on on Bitcoin. And um, uh, it's always better to have that documented as a standard versus like, you know, having, uh, you know, having a complete Wild West where, where the standard essentially is just in one implementation. So that, that was the reason for making this BIP. And um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that with, with, with a little patience, we'll get to a point where we have a BIP number assigned and then, you know, can, can also get this to an accepted BIP. Um, but sure. so, so, yeah, so just, just, and we don't have to go into BIPs in entirety, but does it mean that, is it like 50% or more have to vote in favor of, is it something like that, a democratic vote, or is it just when there's no more um, you know, no more editing required or something like that. Yeah, it's 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 not a vote. It's a um, you know, it's supposed to be a discussion. You know, based on you know, based on you know, where you actually get to a point where you have uh, where you have a you know certain form of consensus. It's not you know, like it, it's very hard to define this um, to define this. Um, Precisely, and it's it's one of the most interesting topics I think in Bitcoin is like how do you do the governance around uh, around these BIPs? So it's um, it's not something where you can give a, a precise definition. Um, it's a bit of a, a process of art, I would say. Um, but but yeah, um, um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, really, really, really good overview, I think, of, of ordinal theory. Um, and is, is there anything, I'm sure there is, but anything more to say about inscriptions versus ordinals versus, uh, like, uh, people use them interchangeably. Is that the wrong terminology? <clears throat> yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think the, the terminology that, that we all have started using is kind of using ordinal and inscription a little bit interchangeably. The original idea was that ordinals are really these, these serial numbers for Satoshis and inscriptions are the, you know, the pieces of data, essentially, that we put on the Bitcoin blockchain. And then if you have an inscription that is associated to an ordinal, you have a, um, you have a digital artifact that you can uh, you know, transfer using normal Bitcoin you know, primitives of, of, of sending um, and, and, and so forth. So, so the original terminology is you have the, the ordinal is the number, the inscription is the piece of data, together that's a digital artifact. Casey wanted to avoid the word NFT because you know, there, there's so much ambiguity and, and so many problems with, um, with, with, let's say, traditional NFTs where you know, the art isn't on-chain, it's maybe not completely immutable. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of potential issues. So the, the, the idea was let's, let's, let's use a, a different term that makes clear that this is something else. There is, of course, a, a huge piece of overlap, but, um, but I think inscriptions are really unique in that they're always um, you know, immutable, they're always on-chain, um, and um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, what you see is what you get uh, kind of situation, right, where you, know, you don't have to inspect any smart contracts to understand if you know, something bad could poss possibly happen. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of a very straightforward, very much, you know, I think in a similar way to ordinal theory, it's a very much distilled to the core. What is the core thing of what you want to do when you, um, when you publish and, and create like a permanent record of a piece of digital art is you want to make sure it's, it's, it's immutable, it's there for everyone. You want to make sure that it's not censorable, um, which is what we get from Bitcoin. And you want to make sure that you can transfer ownership and that's what you, that's what you have ordinal theory for. So it's, in, in my view, it's like it's the essence of what, of what you need to have, um, you know, digital collectibles um, that, 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 that are permanent and, and, um, and, and not censorable. Yeah, okay. So ordinals are the number and I've, there on my first spaces, I've got it all wrong. I've got intro to ordinals as the title. It's that, so that's not right. It should be intro to ordinal theory or something like that. Oh, well, that's but, um, fine. I think, you know, I, I think I, I'm, I'm always a friend, like, you know, it's, it's good to have like your core terminology kind of clear, but then also like, Everybody is talking about these things as ordinals. I think it's it's perfectly fine to use that, and you know, it's it's. I, I think it's a good name that that has caught on. So, um. yeah. So, um, do we have a, just a little bit more of your time, orderly, to to talk about parent-child inscriptions? Yeah, yeah, we sure. Have a bit of time now, and then and then I think just at the the tail end. Um, there's some exciting stuff just of one of your, 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 your own pet projects that you, you might be launching tomorrow. So if you want to take us through that. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, so parent child is, is one of the things like, I think maybe, maybe stepping back a little bit, like, um, when, 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 when we decided to kind of launch ordinals on mainnet and inscriptions on mainnet late, late, uh, uh January this year, um, we had not expected, you know, anything like the sort of, of, of response we have gotten. Like we thought, okay, maybe, maybe if things go very well, like a few hundred people will be interested in this. And, and, and the idea was kind of, okay, let's get something out so that we get some user feedback and, and, and can then continue to develop. Um, we were, to be quite honest, like, uh, completely overwhelmed with the with the massive response we had uh, like you know the number of people kind of coming into this that that needed support and help etc um so so one of the consequences of that is that you know we we, we had a fairly um substantial roadmap of things that we were originally all planning to kind of launch in the first few months after you know after we uh, we bring out uh, you know the main you know, the first release from, from January. And, and one of the pieces on that roadmap 
um, is um, uh, is a concept for parent and child inscriptions, um, which is part of you know kind of our design for how can you do provenance, how can you uh, you know first of all how can you organize um, inscriptions into collections. How can you organize collections um, to be, uh, you know, associated with artists for for, for provenance? Um, and and Casey's design for this is something that um, that that is quite unique, I think, in that it's it's completely on chain again. So it's not something where you have like a JSON file that is somehow separate, and that you know you need some separate way to 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 check or prove but where you have an on-chain record of a parent-child relationship between inscriptions. So the idea is you can, um, you know, instead of what you can do today, where you, you know, essentially every inscription you make is completely independent, right? It has no relationship um, directly to any other inscription. With the parent-child feature that we're working on, um, what you can do is inscribe, make an inscription that is a child of something else, of another inscription. What can you use that for? You can use that to, um, you know, make a collection. You inscribe, um, you know, what we would call, like in technical terms, a collection parent. Um, and then you inscribe all the items in the collection as children of that collection parent. Um, if as an artist you want to organize your collections, you could have, you know, a parent inscription for you as an artist, and then um, you would inscribe each collection parent again as a child of your uh, of your artist's inscription. So that's something that Raf and I kind of initially implemented in February, and then um, you know it's been sitting in review for a long time. We are now finally making progress again, and and I think um, I think that's something that we're going to to actually launch in the next uh, you know in the foreseeable future. I, I will not talk about any specific dates because this has turned out to be. Uh, much harder to predict than um, than, uh, than than I'm used to, um, but but this is a really neat concept for um, for, uh, for for provenance for organizing collections, etc. It's not something. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, so just from the end user, like, how would they see that? Or um, yeah, so how do we know that this? is a child inscription of this parent. Yeah. But how do we see that currently? So the current implementation in the in the draft PR for this essentially when you um, when you go to a parent inscription, you see a list of all the children. So essentially when you go to this collection parent, um, you see the, the parent, but you also see um, you know, essentially a little gallery of all the children of that. And I'm sure, you know, there's, there, there, there will be ways to, um, you know, I think each explorer, each marketplace will find different ways to, to display this and to work with this. But, but like the very basic idea is that whenever you go to an inscription that has children, you see all the children displayed at the same time. Um, and... And this, it, it, again, so this is something that is not available today. It's a draft PR that has some dependencies. Um, and, you know, th this may get a little complicated. So please, please interrupt me if there are questions. But um, what you need to do or what we, the, the, the way we are doing these parent-child inscriptions is that we want to have an on-chain record that, the inscription was actually made by someone who owns the parent. And the way to do that in Bitcoin terms is to actually make the parent part of the inscription transaction. So we suddenly have inscription transactions that look different from inscription transactions before in that they have an additional input, the parent, um, which goes into the inscription transaction as an input goes out as an output, so it's essentially unchanged. And the only reason to make it part of the transaction is that that provides on-chain proof that at the time of making the child inscription, um, the person who owned, the, the person also owned the parent, had the private key to spend the parent. Um, 
And that we think is a very neat way to, you know, not require any kind of off-chain proofs or anything. It's like an it's a, like an on-chain proof to um, to show that this child inscription was made by the legitimate owner of the parent at the time. And what does that, that, hmm? does that that doesn't affect or destroy or, or burn the parent inscription? No, exactly. Way. That doesn't that doesn't change the parent in any way whatsoever. It just goes in as an input to the um, to the transaction and goes out unchanged. Um, it does create a few challenges in that you, you can't really use the, this method to inscribe like a 10K collection because, um, you know, you would have to make a lot of independent transactions, all with the same parent. It would take a long time. So this, you know, I'm, I'm sure this, this parent-child mechanism is, is really useful for kind of smaller collections. Um, of maybe you know a hundred or maybe five hundred items, but 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 not for you know not for a ten k collection. It's you know you probably need different ways to do that. Um, but it it goes in unchanged. But the challenge that this um, that this approach causes is that suddenly we have inscriptions that are not made on the first input. They're made on the second input because the first input now is the parent. And we wanted to make the parent the first input because. We will in the feed in the future have the ability to make multiple inscriptions in one transaction. Again, this is you know future capabilities, not yet fully implemented. But um, and and for that we wanted to have the parent as the first input, and then all the children that it's inscribing as the as, as the subsequent inputs. What that causes is that those inscriptions, because of what we consider like, you know, Raf is now talking about this, like this was a shortcut that was taken when, when doing the initial implementation of the inscription parsing in ORT. It just ignores inscriptions that are not on the first input um, for no good reason. Um, and so that's, that's what, what initially led us to this concept of, hmm, okay, so we have inscriptions that are not recognized, but they're on chain. Um, and that's that's where Casey came up with the concept of, of cursed inscriptions um, to address the challenge of, okay, we don't want to change the existing numbering scheme. We do want to recognize those parent-child inscriptions. We need to find some way to assign them numbers that are not conflicting or changing the existing numbers. So let's use negative numbers, etc. So that 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 whole debate has um, you know has, has has many implications. And there's you know parent-child is just one type of cursed inscriptions. There's there's a few others, um, but 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 let's focus on the parent-child stuff now. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I hadn't I hadn't realized that parent-child inscriptions therefore would were a type of cursed inscription. Yes, I, I they are. That. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, you've mentioned just on just kind of tying off this topic. Um, I think you've mentioned in the past that there are different ways that people are thinking about parent-child. Yeah. So, so exactly. So, so this is um, this parent-child um, mechanism that, that that you know is currently in the works and will be launched. You know, in the foreseeable future, is 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 one way to establish parent-child provenance and. Essentially, it, it, it establishes the parent-child relationship. You know, a, a child can be created if you own the parent inscription at the point of inscribing the child. Um, unfortunately, if you, if you do that today, some people have inscribed uh, uh, collections with, uh, with, with parent-child. They're currently invisible on ordinals.com. You know, you, you can trade them. Um, you can see them on, uh, you know, on custordinals.com where, where, where there's a preview running of, uh, of, of, you know, of a draft PR. So it's, it's kind of a very unstable uh, situation, but at least you can see some of the stuff that, that has already been inscribed. There's a separate way that I have devised to, um, uh, to establish also some sort of, of, you know, I think I think I should probably avoid the, the word parent-child for this, but to 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 you know have some sort of ancestral relationship between inscriptions, and that is leveraging the the addresses um, uh, that that inscriptions are made to. 
And I think this is this is also quite an interesting design in that when you when you make inscriptions with the uh, with the art client, and you can do the same thing with with any other inscription tool as well. By default, each inscription has its own what I call genesis address. So it, it's inscribed to a completely new address that has never been used before. Um, and that only the owner of that uh, of that wallet making the inscription has the private key for. Um, and you can uh, you can check these genesis addresses. I think Ordi Scan is the is the nicest explorer to kind of view the the, the you know the history for 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 an address and and what happened there. And now this 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 second kind of um, uh, you know mechanism that that I've devised is just to to leverage the addresses so essentially create um, a child inscription by inscribing it to the same address to the genesis address of the parent now what that proves is that the person who's making the child inscription owns the private key to the parent at the time that the parent was inscribed so what are the advantages here? You no longer, um, you, you don't even have to own the parent anymore, um, which which gives you a different set of um, of, of properties. So you can make uh, you can make this kind of child inscription at any time, uh, as long as you have the private key to the um, to the wallet that you made the original inscription from. To to make this feasible, it requires that you that you make each inscription you know, each parent inscription to a separate address, which is the default if you inscribe with art. It's not the default if you inscribe with, with um, you know, kind of the, the, the web-based inscription services today. Um, but I think it's something, the nice thing is that this mechanism works today. You need, you know, you get no cursed inscriptions. Um, and, and it's something that uh, I think over time, this concept of, okay, understanding what, what, what happened for, us for a given address is something that more and more explorers will pick up. Um, uh... so, so, so qualitatively different from mm -hmm. the first parent-child provenance mm -hmm. technique you mentioned, um, and, and therefore you're trying to think of a different name for it, but, but in the same vein. In the same vein, haven't found a good name for it, but, but I like the concept. I've, I've, I've used this initially for, you know, for, this, uh, for the ordinal monkeys, like I had this idea, okay, I want to make, uh, you know, like an artist makes a signature for, for his works. Um, we had this, this, this really fun community project where, um, you know, people were um, giving names to the, to the ordinal monkeys. Um, so I wanted to have an on-chain record of those names. And I also wanted to sign, you know, because I had published the, the original ordinal monkeys kind of anonymously, um, and I wanted to, to create like an on-chain record of, okay, so here's the name for each monkey as, as chosen by the community, um, and here's my signature. So, um, so this technique that, that I just described of just inscribing that, that let's say, signature inscription um, that is giving the name, we called it a nominal. Um, it's not, a, not, not, not an official name, but, but it's a name that I like. Um, we, we we use this 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 address based um, inscription technique, so that um, you know if you if you look at the ordinal monkeys um, and you just pick one of the um, you know one of the monkeys and then then view that inscription on Ordi scan, you can see and you go to uh, you go to the you know the genesis address that it was inscribed to. Uh, I have a little video that I can that I can tweet later. Um, and then you go to activity for that address, you can see like all the activity on that address. And you can see the first thing that was inscribed was the Genesis ordinal monkey. And then the second thing that was inscribed was this, what we call nominal. So it's a, it's a signature that also gives, gives a name. And then, uh, and this is what Desa just mentioned, what we're going to launch uh, on, on Saturday is um, all the monkeys had babies. So um, we have uh, we have a second collection of uh, of uh, um, you know baby monkeys um, and I you know but what I really like is like playing with these concepts right uh, you, you talk about parent child inscriptions it's a very technical concept it's um, 
you know, it's and, and I think there's there's an interesting technical aspect to it. But then I like to take those concepts and kind of play with them on the, you know, kind of on the art side and think about, OK, so what if, you know, uh, what 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 is, you know, what, what can you do with parent child inscriptions for for monkeys? Well, you get baby monkeys. Um, and that's uh, that's what we're launching on Saturday. So it's um, so it's actually the, the those three collections that just beautifully illustrate then exactly what we've just spoken about with the ordinal monkeys that those kind of twenty one ordinal monkeys um, in the first ten thousand inscriptions they're the parents and the autographs or the signature ins the inscriptions that are digital signatures or autographs from you were airdropped and that's the second type of wallet based Genesis wallet based provenance. Mm -hmm. And then the monk, ordinal monkey babies is that first type of parent-child inscription that you were mentioning, um, where the parent inscription is incorporated into the transaction. Well, it's the second. No, no. This, these, this is Sorry. the second. This is the second type of parent-child inscription. I really have to make up a better name for this to avoid this, this yes. confusion. If it was the first type, then none of these would be visible right now. They would all be cursed, and you know their future would yep. be a little uncertain. Um, so, um, so, so that's, that's why I came up with the second technique, which works like with all these existing, uh, uh, techniques and, um, and, and doesn't require, you know, any, any kind of unreleased, uh, unreleased software. I think like, you know, it, it's, it is unfortunately in a bit of a confusing state since, you know, we, um, we have an you know an unmerged PR out there since I think mid February that some people have used to inscribe parent-child collections, um, and back then our expectation was that you know we, we we can we can get this merged within you know within a few weeks. Um, it it all took a lot long, longer for various reasons. So we have this state where some people have made parent-child inscriptions with the unmerged PR. Um, and and it's a bit of a confusing situation. In the future, we we you know we we're thinking about ways like you know it's not an it's not an easy uh, problem to tackle. Um, we want to develop new new stuff in a transparent fashion and kind of also be able to just share work in progress. But that always creates a situation where some people then take that work in progress, use it to inscribe something, and then. Which, from my perspective, is fine. The only thing that's not fine is like those things can change, right? And then um, you, you create the situation where, oh, maybe you have a bug in the draft PR and you need to fix it. And then that causes some complications for existing inscriptions made with the draft PR. So it's like it's dangerous territory. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think one thing you've learned is that we need to be even more transparent and, and like, you know, think through more carefully in how we, how we work.